Welcome, guys, to the Willie, the Willie Robertson podcast. As always, my trusty assistant. He is a slobbiest slobber I know. Johnny to the D. I don't know if I can handle this. Oh, no, this is going to be awesome. In the house today, we got my lovely wife, Corey. I need to welcome the ladies. You said welcome, guys. Welcome, ladies. And if you notice, there's a little beatbox in the background. Nothing little about My this. third child on the show making his Willie Robertson debut. None other than Little Will Robertson. Thank you, Will. No problem. Ah, Will, how are you today? Nice. He gets Good. all that talent from his mama. How about that, huh? I wish I never could figure out how to do that. I can't. It just comes out as fart noises when I do Every, that. I know. I never could figure it out. Will has a gift uh, of doing that. So welcome, Will. We have a interesting show that's going to be different than probably what we've done any time before. So uh, we're going to have a special segment at the end. I have a little guest host coming in. And uh, so we're going to bring you that. But... Uh, Today we're going to talk a little bit about adoption. Uh, uh, Will, my second son, mm-hmm. only son, that I mean, only two boys, so I got to get that right. Three girls, Wait, no, no, three boys, three boys. Oh. So this is where I always get confused. <laughs> okay, so we've got John Luke. I no. said I had. We have four daughters the other day, which I was counting Mary Kate. So when you have this many kids, it gets terribly. We confusing. have six children. And then we have one daughter-in-law and right. one soon-to-be son-in-law. So, so Will was the second son. Now he yep. is the th- second son of three, is what I meant to say. Uh, Rowdy's yep. behind him, so Rowdy's at summer camp. We invited Will in to come in and talk because uh, we're talking a little bit about our children, our family, and also adoption. And so uh, for Corey and I, adoption was something that was huge for us. And uh, um, uh, Will was adopted at a month old, and so uh, we're going to talk to him. He was the cutest little thing I ever seen. He was a cute little <laughs> curly-headed one-month-year-old, and uh, so I uh, want to talk about that, and I um, want to talk about um, uh, a couple of organizations that we like and that have that help out in adoption, because what we're trying to do is make this easier, provide information, uh, maybe knock the edge off for families out there who are not sure about adopting. Uh, some have children, some can have children. Um, but I talk to people all the time who are just unsure, and they're like, I'm just not sure, and how does that Maybe work? Maybe interested, but you don't really know how to go about it, right. or you know the cost associated with it sometimes exactly. can be high. And so we're trying to just make it simpler and just bring more awareness to adoption. Right, and I think there's no better way to do that than to actually show you know, your family and kind of what comes out of that. And so uh, Will is certainly a product of that. And so, uh, Will, what's it like being in the Robertson family? Um, it's, first of all, it's awesome because <laughs> I wouldn't be where I'm at today for sure because right. I don't know where I would be right now. Right. <laughs> but uh, other than that, um, it's brought me a lot closer to Jesus. Yeah. And it's – um. And it has uh, brought up my maturity a lot. And yeah, how since I can... you were five weeks when we got you, you've matured a lot since then. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You don't poop in your pants anymore. That's good. <laughs> so no, you're right, Will. That's a good answer. That's a great mm-hmm. answer. Um, so now tell me that, I mean, when you were younger, did you ever feel different because you are adopted? Or? Not really. I mean, uh 
I mean, I knew I was different because I had a different skin color, but I didn't. <laughs> Your but, hair went up. And yeah, my hair went up instead of down. down. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. That that, at least I'm glad about that because there's no limit for me at school. That's true. Yeah. You have the coolest hair ever. Now, Will, you That's can't right, see him right now, but he's probably working at least five to six inches of growth there on top of his head. So, and uh, everyone has always loved his hair. Right. The ladies love his hair. Yep. Everyone has to just touch it and feel it. And, and remember, he didn't he like it. when he was a Young, young, he didn't like anybody messing with his hair. He didn't uh-huh. like you touching his head. Because he had these cutest curls you've ever seen, and everyone wanted to touch them. They just could not help themselves. They wanted to touch them. But remember yeah. whenever you first we first talked about that you were biracial, and you were like, so that's why I'm so tan. Yeah. <laughs> so he's a little tanner, but... Uh, and he, but he had a... Uh, we're all jealous of his tan and long eyelashes and oh, yeah. big curly hair. So uh, now, you, how old are you? Fourteen. Fourteen. Of course, I knew that. I'm just doing that for the, yeah, of for course. the listeners. Uh, but he looks like about a 20-year-old. Right. Going into ninth grade, kid. how tall are you? Five eleven and a half. Five just, eleven and a half. Just a half. With the afro, the maybe six. Uh, six oh, three. Afro, how much do you three. weigh? He's taller than I me. I weigh two fifteen. Two fifteen. He uh, he now, he finally. I had to lose some weight, but now he weighs more <laughs> than his dad. So. Uh, so he's a, a member of the time the person said, you're a big fella. And so he's always kind of been a big fella. But uh, going into freshman year of high school, uh, playing high school football and basketball. And so uh, it's going to be a fun fall this year, uh, seeing him on the high school teams. And uh, uh, it's totally different. So watching you grow up and uh, obviously your mom and I are proud of you. And uh, and hopefully that your story can make a difference for other kids like you and who uh, need a home and um, – you know, and you just kind of knock that edge. I'm just like, look, this is our family, and so uh, we have all sorts of different types in our family. Uh, Rebecca's from Taiwan. She uh, speaks quasi good English, but uh, <laughs> still has that Asian accent. I'm gonna get Rebecca. She has a on the southern show. Asian accent. It's southern Asian. Yeah, yeah it sounds like a great restaurant. Um, <laughs> but uh, so the, you know, our family's always been a kind of a hodgepodge of people and and mixes and um so tell me about growing up with your siblings uh you know what's it like having so many brothers and sisters um it is most of the time it is really easy just trying to get along with them but uh it has changed a lot over the years uh me and bella used to fight a lot but we since we've gotten older and we have matured a lot, then we have become more like best friends. And since Rowdy came in, y'all fight less because now you have another sibling yep. uh, <laughs> to try to fight with. And yep. So, uh, uh, what'd you learn from? Uh, what'd you learn from your big brother? What'd you learn from John Luke? Um, mostly how to survive in some situations. <laughs> since <he's- laughs> of all the things I thought he was saying, well, I did that. not see survival. Like what? With like Bear what Grylls. situations? Uh, in the outdoors. Yeah. John Lee could pretty much survive anywhere. He's he kind could, of like yeah. MacGyver. He could yeah. go on naked and afraid to make it. He, oh, yeah. could, he could. He could. Will has some fat reserves. He could use up on naked and afraid. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right, Will. It's all right. Hey, hey it's not. It's I, I have a lot of muscles. No, he's you a do. big fella. Oh, he's got the biggest muscles of the family by far. That's true. So, uh, and he does not know his own strength either. Well, um... Uh, what about, uh, now tell me a little bit about, because you have literally grown up, so you're 14, you're talking nine years old, um, being on television. What's it like being in a famous family? Because before, 
you, you kind of know what's like with both sides of it. Uh, we mm-hmm. weren't um, as famous. We had a television show when you were younger, uh, but not as well known for sure. What's it like growing up, being on television, where a lot of people know who you are? I mean, how have you uh, dealt with that? Um, it has gotten a lot harder, like just literally just walking around places because you just you walk even in like a gas station or like the movie theaters or something and they're like you're like oh my gosh that's willie robertson's son can we take a picture with you i'm like sure yeah but um oh come on you don't mind it so much because yeah, mostly it's young girls yeah girls admit it you that's don't the mind positive it that much. And the ne- but sometimes i get it i mean yes. sometimes you just kind of you know yeah. you're not you with your friends, and you maybe you know you just want to chill out. And yeah. So that's Actually, the, the good and the Bella bad. and I went in Walmart the other day, and Bella was like, "This feels like the old days when we used to go to Walmart all the time." <laughs> <laughs> Which, not that I have anything against Walmart anymore, but for a while there, it was like our faces were everywhere in Walmart, and it was it's just a little weird, bit yeah. weird whenever you walked in. It was like your face, your husband's face, was on like toddler underwear, and like <laughs> have you ever bought one of our products? Big towels from a store? with we, like size face on it. Um, yeah. I have bought, I bought our, our <laughs> greeting cards from Walmart. Remember, I bought you Father's uh, Day cards. Um, I, I bought a lot of our products because yeah. I'm like, well, if I want to buy somebody's product, might as well be ours. So yeah. it's kind of strange. I remember we were at, I think, Sam's Club. Yeah. And I walked past a checkout lane and I saw a Chia Pet. <laughs> but it was dad. <laughs> yeah, the Willie Chia. <laughs> we had to take a picture with that one. That was yes. funny. And we bought those action figures, too. Yeah, we have them. The Willie action figures inside. ATV. And the, that was funny. Yeah, yeah i never forget. Um, we received an award, and someone asked me. It was about adoption, and someone asked me what my greatest accomplishment was. And at the time, I remember thinking the greatest thing I feel like I've ever done was actually adopting Will because at the time we had um, taken a chance. We didn't have a lot of money. We weren't uh, in the situation we're in now, but we knew there was a child who needed a home, and so we just opened our home up and didn't have any idea how we were going to do it or how we were going to figure it out, but we know that we wanted to do that. And so, um, you know, that was that was for you, Will, is to say um, we just wanted to provide that place for you. We felt like God had his hand on it for sure, uh, especially the way the circumstances all uh, kind of unfolded. And um, But it was. It was, it was very such evident a sense that of, right, God's plan to have. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was so evident. God's plan to have Will in our family and for him to be ours. And so, yeah, when we so we um, were actually asked to come to an Angels of Adoption award right, ceremony yeah, in Washington D.C. Uh-huh, in Washington D.C. with an organization called CCAI, which we are now on the board of. At the time, right. we knew nothing about them. We just, you know, were honored to be accepting this award, and we well, went there. Well, they said Hugh Jackman would be there, and you said yes before well, they that's even kinda, know what we were doing. Yeah. So that yeah. may I, have I, had something. To do. I would have. I would have wanted to meet. Wolverine. That had a little bit to do with <laughs> well, it. Hugh Jackson but, heard your name mentioned, so that's something. That's, that's right. Cool. Hugh Jackman. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So we went there, and Willie talked about that in his speech there, you know, in our acceptance speech. He talked about how, you know, we've gotten to do a lot of cool things with Doug Dynasty, and we've been to Super Bowls, and we've been to NASCAR races, and we've been to, you know, award shows and all this. But our greatest thing we've ever done was adopting Will. And so we're happy that Will's here talking with <laughs> us today. But um, so that was just like the beginning, the, the start of our, you know, relationship with CCAI and it just got us really interested and really thinking more. And I think it was like, you know, it was just something we did. It was just, well, you know, it was just our family. We didn't think a whole lot about like 
using our platform to talk about adoption until right. that moment happened. And then when that moment happened, it was like, okay, you know, we have a responsibility to, um, to learn more about adoption in our country and the foster care system in our country right. and around the world. And, um, you know, there's a lot of children out there needing right. forever families, and we have an opportunity and a responsibility to do something about that. Well, what struck me about the organization was it was a bipartisan, nonpartisan thing. Like you have Republicans and Democrats, independents coming together and and to really trying to promote and push adoption and mm-hmm. make it easier. These are the lawmakers of our country. So we know a lot of things. And that if it doesn't start at the top, like laws need to be changed and things need to happen for this to, to be available. And so, right. I and mean, in our crazy political climate oh. where we argue over everything, we can't seem to. just me and you? Or? Yeah, pretty oh, okay. much. Yeah, in our, <laughs> our, our crazy political climate, our home, or whenever in our world where we argue over everything, it feels like adoption and children finding homes is pretty much something that we should all be able to agree on. Right. I mean, we have to take care of our children as a society and well, as a country. That's it. And, and we, had, we had met with um, Mary Landry. I had met her several times. She was, you know, our senator at the time, and uh, she's a Democrat, but she was passionate about mm-hmm. this. And so I'd spoken with her. And then once we got there, I met all these uh, wonderful folks who, again, were both sides of the aisle. And I was so blown away by, you know, the – the camaraderie that we can come together on an issue and for us this was our issue i mean this it affected our lives and we wanted to bring it more so i'm so glad to be uh, a part of this organization then they asked us to be on the board and we've been back uh, we actually hosted the event uh we hosted yeah. the event the the twoies hosted when we were got yes. our uh, angels of adoption uh, and that was from the movie blindside and so uh uh so it was just a, a quite an honor and um and so wanted to do something uh uh, different this week. Um, uh, Will, I'm so glad you came in and talked to us. I want uh, all the listeners to hear from our children at one point or another and just to see what kind of family we are and uh, really on the inside without the TV cameras and just kind of who we are. And so I'm so thankful for you coming in and, and using your story, even at 14, to, to start impacting other people's lives. That's so important. Um, but I'm going to let Corey guest host the next segment. Uh, she's actually uh, has run into some of the interns that work up there, and uh, they have some uh, crazy stories. And so uh, I wanted Corey to uh, put the mic on and uh, do her own interview. So you're actually going to guest host the next segment. So uh, are you are you prepared? I, I think I am. I mean, I don't know how hard can it be. You do it every week, huh? Oh, oh, <laughs> dig that. Got to be easy, she says. Good All right, mom. well, uh, well, Corey, I want you to uh, uh, do good and uh, keep spreading the word about adoption. Uh, yeah, you've done a great job here with Will and all of our children, and uh, I can't wait to hear uh, your interview. <laughs> Corey is here. To tell us all things that are Corey related. I'm so happy to be here. And John David, you have to admit, you're kind of happy for me to be here too, right? I, I am. It is a little easier when Corey's here. You actually and not, like me better than Willie, right? Depends on if he's going to listen, but yeah. <laughs> We're blood. He's He just I pays know. me. You're my blood. Does family, everybody so. know that? That like you are my cousin. So you are my cousin first. You're Willie's assistant second. Very true. It's if true. I'm, yep. That's definitely true. And we were you were on the podcast with us one time. I was. But was and fun. we would have talked about how I was your cousin and Heath was on, who's uh-huh. also our cousin. Mm-hmm. But you talked so much for all of us that nobody knew I was there that day. 
wait, are you saying I talk too much? Uh, Heath called me afterwards and goes, you were on that podcast, right? I said, <laughs> I just let, Corey was on a roll and I just let her do her thing. Well, this so. is my first time to host and I'm really excited. I had actually talked to our guests on the phone a couple weeks ago and immediately I went to Willie and was like, we need to have him on. We've got to have him as a guest. And Willie's like, why don't you do it? You should do, you should guest host for me and, and interview him. And I said, I'm happy to do that. So that's what we're doing today. Today, um, we are talking to Christopher. And let me just tell you a little bit about the backstory, um, about how I got to know Christopher. So Willie and I serve on the board of directors of a small nonprofit out of Washington, D.C. And um, its goal is to improve adoption and foster care policy so that more children can find forever homes. And as you know, that's a real passion for our, of ours. Willie and I have adopted children. We're very passionate about um, helping more children find forever families. And um, so this organization is called the Congressional Coalition on Adoption Institute, CCAI. And um, it is strategically bipartisan, which I absolutely love because in our political climate today, um, we can find a ton of things to disagree about. We can... Um, argue about a lot of things but i think that something that we can find as a commonality is all of our goal is to help children and to help children every child needs a mom and dad and i think that's something that we can all agree on and so that's a commonality that i feel like we can come together on and do a better job of taking care of our children in our country and around the world and that's something that ccii is super passionate about so one of the awesome ways CCAI hopes to achieve this goal is through a program called the Foster Youth Internship Program. So they bring 12 young people in who are either currently in the foster care system or have grown up, have been in the foster care system for much of their life um, to Washington, D.C., on Capitol Hill, in the offices of the committees of the members of the Congress, so that they can affect change. So these are kids or young people who have lived it, who have experienced the foster care system, who know what it's like, who understands the difficulties, the challenges, the things that they wish could be improved. And so they are actually influencing policymakers, influencing lawmakers, talking to congressmen, and they're having this experience of an internship in Washington, D.C. that is just really incredible. And I just cannot say enough about how much I love this program. I think it's fabulous. I think it's on so many fronts. So I'm really, really excited to be on the board of this and to be a part of it. And whenever I, you know, started learning about these interns that were going to be here this summer, there's 12 of them. And I got to hear Christopher's story and I was like, okay, you need to share this because um, people need to know. I think a lot of people don't understand what, you know, the, the realities of what goes on in the foster care system and the difficulties and challenges that these kids face. So Christopher, are you there with us today? Yes, yes, I'm here. I'm so happy you're here, and I cannot wait for you to tell a little bit of your story. And I just want to thank you for using your experiences to make a difference in the world for, for more foster youth. And um, so, first of all, just tell us a little bit about your story growing up and, you know, what what chain of events happened that um, that caused you to enter into foster care. Yeah, um, of course. So um, I lived with my biological mother until the age of eight. Um, and during that time, I had a half-brother named Tyler. Um, he was taken away from me, uh, I think, when I was six years old, and, and I haven't seen him since. So I know he's out there someday, and um, I just, I'll find him. But um, during that time, my mother, um, she was a drug addict, and um, I vividly remember her, like, taking me to parties. And uh, there's, I have this one distinct memory where... Um, she took me to this party and like she placed me down like where like the dog crate like 
baby thing was and um she placed me down and um like well and then I watched her do drugs from there mm-hmm. and um I remember her like I remember seeing my like mom on the couch and then like my mom like you know calling my name and um so I go over to her and she's teaching me how to dial 911 mm-hmm. um in case and she says Chris I want you to dial these three numbers in case I stop breathing and I'm like oh mom it's mom you're fine just you, you have the hiccups just drink water and um so that memory right there has, has always been in my memory and like the funny thing is um i've never shared that story until um i came to ccai and um so it's good to get it off my chest also my mother um would abandon me for weeks and months at a time um i was born in everett washington and i lived in an apartment complex called walden ponds and um we had like five or six different apartments um like bouncing around and i remember just like living with strangers basically i don't really remember going to school um my my friends were like way older than me i didn't really have friends of my age group and um one day she left me for like over three months and um the gentleman that i was staying with at the time he like gave me the option was like, Chris, do you want to go into foster care or do you want to go live with your dad? Um, and this and is I, when you, you were know, eight years eight old? Year old I, eight. I didn't know what foster care was. And I was like, oh, I want to go live with my dad. And, you know, being all excited and, you know, I finally get to go live with my dad. And, um, I mean, I, I've met my dad once during the time that I was living with my mom and he seemed like a great guy. And um, so then uh, they shipped me off to my dad. And um, in the beginning... My living with my dad and like the family over there, um, it was really great. Like, like there was so much love. And, um, but then once they got like the confirmation that I will no longer like live with my mother and, um, my dad just like, like a light switch just treated me like, um, the stepchild that I was and, um, really like black sheeps me into the family and, from the age of eight to 14, there was not a single day that went by where my, my dad either didn't like physically abuse me or, um, psychologically abuse me. There was a couple friends I did have, um, when I got to high school and, um, I, every chance I got, I tried to go hang out with them. And, um, eventually I confided in them and told them some of the things that my dad were doing. And they were just like, like looking at me, like, like I was an alien or something like they're like, Chris, like this is unacceptable. You need to, you need to go to somebody. And I'm like, I have nowhere else to go. And even when I was like living with my dad, I, uh, like there's multiple times where I wanted to run away or, you know, I, I thought of suicide as like the only escape route, but there was always something in like the back of my head telling me to just, just like keep pushing and just like give it time. Not like that was the thing was just give it time. Eventually this will all go away. And, um, eventually it did. And, um, the police took me away. And, um, after that, I remember being in a meeting with child protective services and all my dad's family were there. So I believe there was like over like 20 people in the room and I was like in the center of the room and I'll never forget the caseworker asked, all right, well now who wants to take Christopher? Simple question, dead silence. Like nobody said a word. And I looked around the room to like look at people's faces. They couldn't even look at me. And I was just, I mean, living through my, like with my dad and my mom, 
that moment right there was by far the most traumatizing thing that I've ever had to go through. Mm-hmm. And it took me years of therapy and to, to get over it. Yeah, I can't and, imagine um, what that moment was like and that experience of just not knowing what your future is going to hold and not knowing who, you know, who is going to take care of you. And as a 14-year-old kid, you certainly, um, you know, needed someone to say, I've got you, I can take care of you. So what was you, what, what was, what did you think was the next step for you at that point? Or what, I can't imagine um, as a 14-year-old, what, what are you thinking at that point? Well, I, I was thinking of like a, a, a couple things. One being I'm excited to get away from the family because mm-hmm. I figured my dad would come back after me. Like, my dad hurt me so bad that I was afraid of being with that family. Mm-hmm. Like, even though some of those members of the family loved me so much, but they were so afraid of my dad that they couldn't, they couldn't do anything about it. And so, once, like, one thing was I was excited. Um, to like, hopefully, maybe uh, out of the grace of God, um, somebody will, like, come and, like, oh, end up with a good family or something. Mm-hmm. And, um, the second thing was I completely shut down. Um, like I mainly just, I went into it like a depressive state. I like slept all the time and like, I didn't talk to anybody. And, um, so at that point were you placed in foster care, it was at that point I was placed in foster care. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's about like a month after that meeting where I went through foster care and about around three different homes. And boy, let me tell you the, uh, <laughs> like ranging, from the worst of the worst to ending up with a really good family. And when I mean the worst of the worst, I mean like these people, like there are people in foster care who are like foster families that are not equipped to take in kids, like let alone even have kids of their own. Mm -hmm. And some of them are doing it for the money. And this couple, man, like I tell you, I was in the middle of like nowhere, like, Mm -hmm an hour away from town and mind you, I'm in like Port Angeles at the time. So an hour away from town is deep in the woods. And they literally gave me an itinerary of what my day would be like. So I would wake up at like eight fifteen, brush my teeth at eight twenty, be downstairs and uh, have breakfast at like nine and watch TV for 15 minutes. And then at like 10 o'clock, I have to be outside for like nine hours. And they just had open fields. Mm-hmm. So it was like I was I spent approximately like three months there and like I remember caseworkers coming in and like, you know, I uh, I know that like uh, foster kids, they have to like take surveys and, you know, how they're doing and like, you know, do you like the family? And of course, I lied on them because I was afraid of, you know, going to a different home. You know, right. I was tired of going from family to family to home to home. You know, I just wanted permanency. Um, but I, I just could not stay at that house. Mm-hmm. So I called my social worker and was like, if I have to stay one more day here, like I will run away. That is it. And like, I was a good kid. Like I'm looking back at myself now. And like, of course, a lot of people would say that, but like, I was very respectful and like, I felt bad, like, and I've always felt bad, like even throughout all my foster homes and even like the last foster home that I was with, like, I felt just bad, like. You know, these people are going out of their way to take care of me. So I felt like I was a burden. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, I've always felt like I was a burden. Wow. And, um, and so yeah. then I went to a different home and then that one didn't work out. And then I landed up with this two um, old couple um, and they were just like the best. Just absolutely just 
loved me unconditionally. They let me do, like, they let me explore and, like, find out who I wanted to become. Um, you know, they, they really encouraged me to, like, do sports and, you know, follow my passion. And um, it really gave me, like, the strength to, like, talk to girls. Um, I, I could not talk to girls until, like, my junior, senior year of high school. Um, <laughs> I suffered with weight uh, my whole life. Um, there's actually a photo of my like old ASB. Uh, it, you won't even recognize me. It looks like I literally ate somebody. Um, <laughs> but uh, I never like back then. I never like knew that like I like cope like eating was a coping mechanism for me. Mm-hmm. I just like to eat. I didn't think much of it. Uh, but I was yeah, I was severely uh, overweight. But um, then I did swimming and I lost all the weight. And then um, my foster family they they really helped me. And, um, so are you still in touch with that foster family today? Sadly, not as much as I, I would wish. Mm-hmm. Um, so I stayed with them until, um, uh, up until I aged out at 18 and then my, I signed myself back in the foster care until the age of 21. Um, but I stayed with them until I aged out. And then even a couple of years when I went to college, I, uh, I stayed in contact with them and I'd go with them back to holidays and stuff. But, uh, another thing That's that really something that I was, think a lot of a lot of people don't realize is that um, you know a lot of, of kids like you do age out of foster care. You turn eighteen and um, you're pretty much on your own. You know you you have to figure out how to um, live life and what to do next. And so, how were you able to figure out like what what is next for you at eighteen years old? And you age out of foster care. You still you know don't really have a family to call your own and. Um, what what's that like? How do you how do you right, make those decisions right. for yourself? So for, for me, uh, it, w- it would be a little different. I I, I thought um, my foster family they were my like they were my mom and dad. They mm-hmm. were the mom and dad I never had, and they were going to be with me until the end. Uh-huh. Well, after a year, um, so to understand, like they stopped wanting to be my foster parents after they stopped receiving the money. Mm-hmm. And so once I was I was told that I could receive the money in order to help pay for rent and food, which I desperately needed going to college. Um, They were like, Chris, well, we're not going to pay for anything or, you know, if we're not getting any of the money. Mm -hmm. And so Tom, uh, my foster dad was like, yeah, Chris, we're like done. Wow. And I'm like, and it was, it was at that point where I was like, I truly don't have a family. Mm -hmm. I was, and I've like literally like I had friends in high school who would take me in like for holidays um, and I would bounce around different, you know, friends holidays. And uh, I remember like one Thanksgiving, like I literally had a turkey sandwich by myself mm-hmm. and like a glass of um, sparkling cider. Wow. You know, to me, to me, that was like, you know, that was OK. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. but well, and, and you are you are definitely the exception to the rule. I think that um, what a lot of people don't realize is the statistics on kids who do age out of foster care generally don't end up like you in Washington D.C. on Capitol Hill. Um, you know, in a foster youth internship program. You know, the statistics actually show that a lot of kids like you end up, you know, in prison, homeless, on the streets, um, in, involved in drugs, and it's unbelievable the um the rate that that happens to kids because you know you're 18 years old and you're on your own so really um just want to say how proud i am of you of of making a you know 
being different and um, and being involved in what you're being involved in. Tell us a little bit about how how did you come to know about the Foster Youth Internship Program? How did you apply? What made you want to apply um, to become a part of this? And um, just tell me a little bit about that story. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, uh, I really uh, want to thank you for bringing that up of like how like I am like an exception. And that's why I chose to pursue going to D.C. And my policy report is on the statistics of kids who age out. Um, and so we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But um, what really wanted me to go to D.C. was, um, like, I just have a passion for foster youth, um, being one. And I want to advocate for foster youth. And it was just out of, like, nowhere. My uh, supervisor sent me an email and it was like, Chris, you should apply for this. Um, we had somebody in our department apply for it and got it a couple years ago. And um, it looks great on a resume and so many connections and doors. This is perfect. And I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. And so I actually applied last year, but uh, for some reason I wasn't on top of my game and um, was disorganized. And I just lost track of the due date. Um, and so I kept my application until next year, and I submitted it. And... Um, I got in. That's awesome. That's great. So what, um, so yeah, one thing that people need to know about, it's not just you getting to spend time with, you know, the people of Congress and on Capitol Hill, you are actually working towards a goal at, at the end of the summer, you create a policy report that you present to the members of Congress. And, um, you know, it's, tell me a little bit about that and what your specific focus is going to be on for the policy report. Right, right. So, uh, so CCAI, um, so I applied to CCAI, and then they would um, help establish us getting internships on the Hill. Mm-hmm. And so um, while I'm doing my policy report, I am also interning on the Hill. Um, but my policy report, my passion is extended foster care. Um, and what extended foster care is, it allows kids who age out at 18 um, to reenter until 21, um, there's only 21 states in, uh, in America that has extended foster care. And um, my goal is to eventually have every single state have extended foster care. Um, but my policy report is allowing um, changing, you know, uh, like the Social Security Act to allow states who, who will adopt extended foster care to not just allow them to 19 or to 20, but to allow the full 18 to 21 and also to make sure that foster kids, foster youth are allowed to reenter mm-hmm. um, for, for whatever reason, if they choose not to reenter. I mean, if a, if a kid wants to express independence, you know, like I'm tired of being in the system. Um, I want to be on my own. And they go out in the world and they, you know, they realize that they can't do it on their own and they, they do need help um, mm-hmm. because they have no one. And right. so they... That's, that's what I'm like fighting for is um, youth to come back in. Um, and a lot, of, a lot of states do allow reentry, but um, the, um, I'm, like, I'm also advocating for like, the future states and like, protecting youth um, for whatever may happen due to budget cuts or something where they're, they're, they, states don't allow reentry. Right. I think that's so critical. John David, can you imagine being on your own at 18? And- it would have been a bad deal. <laughs> for me. I didn't need to be on. My own at totally eight. I, on your I own. don't need to be on my own at twenty seven. <laughs> like, I needed. To, I got married young because I needed somebody to help me. I, I did not. I lived up by myself for three months, and I was like, I can't do this. <laughs> I went to my parents' house like every night. It was a bad deal. 
Yeah, I, I think that's a lot, you know, a lot of us, we, we realize that, you know, in our country, you get to vote when you're 18 and you're an, legally an adult at 18, but still there's a lot that, um, that you need, a lot of help that you need to get through college and all that. And the opportunity to, to actually go to college is not there if you don't have the support and have some extended support oh, yeah. um, throughout you know, throughout your college years. I think that's really, really critical. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, you know, one of the things that, that our goal is to, is to have for, for people to find forever families, for children to find forever families. There are only, I think about 115,000, um, kids in, um, America each year that do age out of foster care. And I say only because there's how many, I mean, how many, I'm terrible at numbers, but how many millions of Americans? And so I feel like, million thank you. Thank you, John David. I'm glad you. you're here for that. I'm here so, for the stats. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the fact that, you know, we can make a difference in that. And I think it is, is a lot of this about awareness is about people like you, Chris, telling your story. And so people can understand, okay, there, there are, we really need good families to enter into the foster care system to take foster children and to consider adopting older children because kids like you who for no fault of your, your own um through some difficult family circumstances end up at 14 year old in foster care and needing a good family to take um to take you know children like you in and to eventually adopt children like you that way we don't have this we don't have this situation and that's really one of of my passions and goals and is really just I think it's just talking about it. I think a lot of people I I wasn't aware of statistics until about a year ago whenever I got really involved with CCAI about the statistics of um, the foster youth and um, the difficulties and the hardships that you guys face and so um, it's been a real passion of mine to share share your story so that you know people understand and see what see what's going on and see how we can make a difference and how we can make change um it's tell me like what do you how do you feel about the program and what have you enjoyed about it what do you think you're learning through it and what do you think um how do you think it will make a difference yeah um so like i love ccai like with all my heart and i like i never want to forget it and i always want to you know, cherish the connections I have here because, you know, I, it's, they've helped me like find like, like even more about myself that I, like, I didn't even know. Like for instance, uh, we first, uh, we first arrived here and then like the next couple of days we're just meeting, getting to know each other, you know, working like immediately just like jumping in our policy report. And then we take a little break and go on a retreat, uh, to Pennsylvania and spend a couple of days just, you know, bonding and that was like the first time that like I have like shared more detail about my life with other foster youth. Like I have never been with a group of other foster youth like my age. Mm -hmm. And um, so that was like a really wonderful experience. And um, this organization is like I can just see it growing and getting better and better. And um, because like it's just like having us voice our experiences and our changes to the child welfare system. I mean, what better way of going straight to the source than CCAI? Right. I mean, you're having kids go through the system. Mm -hmm. And so um, these are just amazing people here. And they work relentlessly, like workaholics. Nearly. <laughs> like, I don't think Becky sleeps. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, and there's so, there's so many volunteers and 
you know, this, uh, yeah, it's just an amazing program. That's great. So tell me, as a foster youth and um, as a one who aged out and who is now there and just fighting, I think I feel like you are such a role model for other kids who've had the similar experience to you. And there are a lot of other kids who have similar experience to you. And I think that's really awesome that, you know, you're able to nail, you know, talk to other people that have those kind of experiences. So if you were talking to someone who is in foster, who is a foster youth, is in the system right now, like what kind of advice would you give them? What would you say to them? Well, um, I would go back to my, to my story of, you know, I, I don't even know what it was. Like there was something telling me when I was like, when I was 14, when I was with my dad, you know, when, when my dad would be beating me or something, like it would just give it time. You know, mm-hmm. just give it time. You're not going to stay that age. You're not going to be in that same, you know, situation for the rest of your life. You know, you're going to meet somebody. You're going to, you know, you're going to fall in love with somebody. You're going to be a parent. You're going to do amazing things. You can do whatever you want. And so um, for me, I, I feel like I have like a moral obligation to assist the future foster youth. And I just encourage other foster youth to know that, you know, being a foster youth isn't a bad thing. Mm-hmm. I grew up in the foster care system, and I thought it was the worst thing. I hated being a foster kid because of all the stereotypes and all all of it that goes with it. Um, and when people look at you weird, but you know what? You just got to blow, you know, let it go, and just know that. Just give it time, and you know, you mm-hmm. could be anybody and anything that you want to be. I think that's amazing. I know that sounds One so th- cliche. But no, it is so true. It's so true. I, I never knew that I would be in Washington, D.C. I never even knew I would graduate, like, high school. Mm-hmm. And, like, but just give it time. That's all I can say is just give it time. That's awesome. I Actually, I read a book recently called The Hope Quotient and just how important hope is and not to lose hope because that, you know, is something that you can hang on to. You know, hope for a future and as you know, we speak into other people's lives and we, and I think, you know, like your social worker who, who suggested this program to you, you know, there's always, if, as I I hope to, like, I hope that I speak hope to other people and let them know that there is a, God has a plan for them. There is a better future for them. And it's so important to hang on to that hope. And in the darkest times, as we all go through difficult times in our life, but in those darkest times to, to know that um, there is something greater out there and that there is a, a greater plan. And um, I'm thankful for you and for your story and that you are, are sharing that message and that you are actually living it and, and trying to create a better f- future and a better hope for other kids like you. So tell us where we can, where we can find out more. So you can definitely, uh, I would recommend going to the Congressional Coalition's Office website, which is www.cca institute.org. Okay, so it's ccainstitute.org and you can find yeah. out more about the great work that they're doing. One thing I do want to, you know, make people aware of is that each of you interns are sponsored. Um, it costs roughly $25,000 for um, you to spend a summer on Capitol Hill to, you know, all of your lodging, all of the work that goes into it. And so that is a big need for funds for, I just think this program is so important. Um, Willie and I sponsor an intern, and I know a lot of people, you know, don't have the funds to say, here's $25,000 to sponsor an intern, but every little bit counts, you know, you can um, be a partial sponsor of an intern, you can, anything from, you know, 
ten dollars to a hundred dollars to a thousand dollars, whatever you can give to help this program continue. I think it's so important. We have twelve um, interns there this summer. We have ten of them fully fully sponsored. We have two more that we still need funds for. And, um, you know, I just hope this, this program continues well into the future until the point that we don't need this anymore. I think it would be amazing when we find a world, um, or a country that we do not need this, um, program. But, um, unfortunately I think that this is something that, um, we're going to need for a long time until we, you know, figure out better ways to take care of our children and take care of our youth in this country and around the world. Um, and um, I just want to thank you so much again for being here today, Chris, and just sharing your story. I know it's not easy sometimes to tell about the tough times in your life, but I think it's so important for us all to hear and for us to um, to all figure out how we can, you know, be a part of making a difference. And so thanks again for being here. And um, this yep. was fun. fun thank to- you so much, Corey. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I enjoyed um, hosting. John David, yep. what do you think? You did a great job. Well, thank you. You're a great host. <laughs> of course you're saying that because I'm sitting here, but, you know. That too. But Willie's in trouble. If Willie's podcast doesn't get the, enough people, we're just going to do the Corey and Johnny D podcast. Oh, tomorrow. okay. Or That's... we can have a spinoff. There you go. We can do two podcasts. There you go. Y'all can share the room. You never know. All right, well. I enjoyed enjoyed the day, and um, everyone go out and have a great day. What does Willie say as his wrap-up? Does he have like a— We normally have a Bible verse. Oh. Do you have one off the top of your head? Well, I do have a Bible verse. James, where it talks about um, true religion— um, that God finds pure and faultless is to take care of widows and orphans in their distress. And that's something that I live by. I try to, um, I think that, you know, that's one of those things that you can't find fault with. If someone's going to take care of those less fortunate, those that are in need, um, God describes that as pure religion that is faultless. So, so a perfect Bible verse there and a great go. job hosting. And Thank you. And we're done. And we'll be back with Willie. Maybe never. We'll just keep going <laughs> No, I'll give it. I'll give okay. I'll give his chair back to him. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs>